This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This summer, we've been um, enjoying a series of messages through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, the title of this summer series has been Another King. Because in Paul's letter uh, to the Thessalonians, he's describing for them the difference that Jesus Christ makes in a person's life. Of course, at that time, uh, the city of uh, Thessalonica, as well as the, most of the entire civilized world, was under Roman rule, and the Caesar was king. And so people knew what life with that king was like. And so when Paul came preaching in Thessalonica and talking about this other king, it was a rather revolutionary idea because he was suggesting that they should have allegiance to someone besides Caesar. And the Jews used this against those that came to believe in Jesus Christ. And they stirred up the whole city of Thessalonica and uh, brought out many people in opposition to Paul's message, so much so that Paul had to flee the city so that he wouldn't be arrested and uh, possibly uh, severely mistreated. But that's the process of the gospel coming into an area where it has not been. The gospel message is very disruptive. It's disruptive to your life and to mine when we first come to faith in Jesus Christ The gospel message changes everything. And the first few messages in this series, Pastor Chris was sharing how the gospel message is so disruptive. It just changes the way we see things. It changes the way we live. It it, it changes everything about us. And that message to those who are receiving it is freeing and liberating and like a breath of fresh air. That message to those who are not receiving it is threatening and scary. And so when Paul went into Thessalonica and went to the synagogue and began to preach about Jesus as the Messiah who had come and told all the story of Jesus coming, his death, his resurrection, his ascension of the Holy Spirit coming upon all people, of this this whole story of what had happened, this gospel good news Uh, Many people welcome that message. It says in Acts 17 that many Jewish people in Thessalonica received Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior, and that many Gentiles came to faith. So this is one of the remarkable things about Jesus coming and opening uh, membership in the kingdom of God to all people. I mean, and welcoming anyone that would believe to become a child of God. And so it says many Gentiles, and and very interestingly, in um, Acts 17, it says, and many prominent women came to faith. And and it doesn't really say who these women were or why that's different or a particular um, item that we should notice, but it is kind of interesting. And I I have to think that these prominent women must have been... um, the wives of uh, synagogue officials or of political leaders or of other uh, business or well-connected people, the wives. And and so the disruption that the gospel brought to this city was great, so much so that not only Paul was run out of town, but those who came to believe in Jesus Christ were persecuted almost from the beginning of their believing in him. 
And so life was not real easy living in that part of, uh, of um, northern Greece up there where Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea and these cities were. Life was very difficult. There was a lot of persecution there. Yet in spite of that, Paul writes these letters to them, uh, Thessalonians, uh, Philippians, these letters of all this great theological content about what believing in Jesus Christ means and is, and inspiring them to hold on to that faith, that what they had come to believe was true and was fabulous, was great, and the greatest news ever. And there wasn't a better option that was going to come. There was nothing greater that could come than faith in Jesus Christ. And so after this initial theological beginning to this letter of, of, to the Thessalonians, Paul moves on to speaking to them beginning in chapter 4 about how they should live. Now that you believe this, this is how you should live because God cares about how you live. And Pastor Chris began this portion of uh, 1 Thessalonians last week in chapter 4. And, and just this, this idea that God cares about how you live. And one of the things that's difficult for us when we hear those words that God cares about how we live is that we think maybe this is the new law of Christianity. That the old law of uh, Judaism has been replaced by the new law. And so, you know, the old rules, although they still apply, there's, there's kind of some new stuff added to that. And so that somehow this new pathway of following God is going to be even more difficult than the old way, because the old way was not easy. Not too many people could really consider themselves successful following the law. In fact, those who did feel that they were successful following the law were so full of pride and so full of ugliness because of their self-confidence that they were doing a good job that, that it really wasn't something to be recommended. I mean, if their lives was what it looked like to follow the law, then you know most people were just like, well, good for you, but I don't want any part of that. And so now when... Paul comes in chapter 4 and other places, begins to tell us that God cares how you live. It could be a little, little off-putting at first when we hear that because we think, oh, great. Now here comes the rules. Here comes the regulations. But, but let me just assure you, it's not like that at all. And even though we read there, that there are some very big requirements or big ideas about how living as a Christian should look, it's not a new law, and it's not something that we should avoid or back down from and, and somehow feel like we're afraid of this, but it, it's really something that uh, is quite good, just like the gospel is good news, because it's something that he's producing in us by his spirit. It's something that he's doing. When the gospel comes, the disruptive effect of the gospel is that it transforms our lives. It changes who we are on the inside. We become different people because God is now dwelling inside of us. And so our motivations, our attitudes, the way we live, this all starts to change. And it looks different. It looks greatly different. And Paul's laying some of that out here in chapter 4, just about what some of those differences are. 
So I want us to begin reading where we left off last week. So it'll be 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 9 this morning, and we'll read uh, 9 to 12. So here Paul writes, Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Really interesting little thing that he says here about love and work. So the disruptive effect of the gospel may look like this in its practical description. He's saying love more, but is he saying work more? I mean, we're pretty familiar with that idea that they'll know we are Christians by our love, right? We're pretty familiar with that idea, but is, is Paul saying they'll know we are Christians by our work? Because we know we're saved by grace and not works because it's not a matter of what we do, but a matter of what Jesus did, right? So now when he addresses our work, he's saying work diligently. What's up with that? I mean, this is, this is like, well, well, hey, you know, I'm, this is, I'm receiving this by grace. Thank you. I'm not, I'm not uh, signed up for the work part. But here Paul's speaking a very practical word in our lives about how we should work with our hands, how we should take care of our families, how we should not be dependent on other people. And, you know, this again goes right to the, the motivation of, of, that has changed in our lives because of the work of the gospel. You know, whereas before, the, the natural inclination, it seems, of all humans is a, a very selfish idea of caring about just getting enough for me or getting more for me or having more things for me. And, and we, we just tend to, that's just our first response, this selfish idea of more for me. And, and working diligently is not feeding that idea at all, because we know the gospels change those thoughts to something quite different. So the idea to me of not being dependent on others is the idea that God has changed me from a taker to a giver. You know, this disruption of the gospel in me has changed the very core of why I work. I'm not just working for me. I'm not just working for my family. I'm not just working for more stuff. But I'm working so that I can be a blessing in this world to other people. I mean, it's, it's really quite wonderful when you think of the change that the gospel brings us, even in practical dimensions like our work. You know, Paul has more to say about this and um, elaborates in, an, in his second letter to the Thessalonians. He elaborates on this kind of this theology of work a little bit. 
And because it, it fits here this morning, and I don't know when we'll get back to this, but let's just jump over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6 for a moment. I just want to read this to you, and then I'll just kind of leave it there for you. But this, this may complete a little bit of what Paul is meaning when he starts this word in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians about our work. Here he says in, uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I'll just turn to that myself. Okay, starting in verse 6. He said, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Some people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. Isn't that an interesting little section there? I mean, it's just really fascinating just how specific and how practical Paul gets in writing uh, to these believers in Thessalonica. But it, it helps complete the picture of what he's saying about us working diligently. You know, it's, it's not the American work ethic he's talking about here. He's not just talking about, you know, everybody should take care of themselves and, you know, work hard by the sweat of their brow. And, you know, it's, it's not just a, 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 a rah-rah speech to get people to, to go out and do something. But he's saying, no, this is how we live because we're Christians. Because Jesus Christ is inside of us, this is what it looks like. These practical words talk about the way we approach our work. And that, the way we approach our work matters to God. And it's an area where the gospel disrupts our natural tendencies and changes our motivation. But mainly this morning, I want to talk with you about the first Part that uh, we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about what Paul says about loving more. He said, love more and more and more. Now, this sounds like Paul's just telling us to come like this morning and just have the feeling, I love my church. I love everybody that's here. I'm, you know, I, I just want to give everybody a hug and a smile and a handshake and just let there be great love and harmony in the body of Christ. And, and, and certainly that's part of what he's saying. But remember that somehow the disruptive effect of the gospel is not just telling us to love those people who are easy to love. And, and in a church like ours, I mean, most everybody here, Maybe there's a few of us that are an exception to that, but most everybody here is easy to love. You know, I know at times, right, Rennie? At times, you know, I'm a little hard to love, but I'm easy to laugh at. So it's kind of, it, you can connect those in some way. But 
you know, it's, you know, not every one of us is easy to love all the time, obviously. We've done a lot of things together this summer. We've been out there at camp for a week together, right? And sometimes we're not easy to love each other all the time, right? I mean, there's just those moments where uh, we're tired or our nerves are afraid or the other person's kind of had a, a, a difficult uh, time and we're just not so ready to feel this love flowing between us. But, um, you know, this is really where this challenge comes, I think, to the point that Paul wants to make, is that will we love other people that are hard to love? Will we love other people when they're hard to love? And, and you know, inside of me, I really want to do that, and I want to succeed at that, because there's something about me that wants to be magnanimous like that, and wants to be an overcomer like that, and wants to do the right thing no matter what, even if no one else does. But, you know, that's really not what the gospel is about. It's not about me being magnanimous. It's not about me overcoming my tendency to be tired or not love somebody. It's about the transformation inside of me that God has done by His Spirit. And see, that doesn't happen just because I have a a desire to build a good reputation for myself by loving other people or somehow, you know, tolerating other people or, you know, being uh, kinder to other people. That happens because the Holy Spirit has done something in me that's changed my motivation. And I have a reason to love someone who's not very lovable that's a God reason. It's not a Greg reason. I'm not loving an unlovable person because I want to be a better person myself. But I'm loving an unlovable person because God loves that person. And because if he can love them through me, this same gospel that has transforming my life can transform theirs as well. There's there's the motivation for loving others is really quite different than anything selfish or anything personal that we might think of. It's about the gospel having its effect in the lives of other people like it has in me. And that's why we care and love unlovable people. Now, it's, it's a very tragic weekend in our country that in Charlottesville, Virginia, there are examples of people within our nation hating other people within our nation. You know, this time we're not pointing our finger at North Korea. We're not pointing our finger somewhere in the Middle East. We're not thinking about someone uh, coming into our country without proper documentation. I mean, we're, we, we are not pointing our finger at anyone but ourselves and saying, how can this be? And it's really embarrassing. You know, when I uh, came in the house yesterday and Donna had that news story on TV about that rioting and the horrible things that were going on. And I really, I didn't want to look at it. I said, can't we change the channel to something else? just simply because it's so embarrassing to think that people would act that way. And, you know, just quite honestly, when I found out exactly what was happening, because I didn't even know, I just heard riot and didn't want to watch. But uh, when I began to to find out what was actually happening there, it was really even more disturbing and more embarrassing. How can it be that people that probably are not too different than some of us would 
that call themselves Christians, no doubt. I mean, don't you imagine many of the people involved in um, marching and meeting and gathering there to protest something? Where Don't you imagine many of them call themselves Christians? I bet they do. And, and going out with such hatred and, and malice and lack of love for people different than themselves or for people who think differently or look differently or somehow, you know, have a different opinion. So we're going to, um, you know, we're just going to raise our voice and announce our hatred. And then it's so embarrassing to think that a young white man raised in this country, 20-year-old young man, that probably has been around Christians a lot, like most people in this country, yet would be so full of hatred for, for someone else with a, a different opinion, they would drive his car into a crowd of them with the intent to murder and to hurt and to kill other people. I mean, it's just, it's horrifying, but, but also to me, I just, I just think it's so embarrassing. It's hard to talk about because how can that be happening? But then I hear Paul's words. He says, love each other more and more. And it's not that there is no love in our society. It's not that Christians don't have love. It's just not enough. And we're just not loving to the extreme that God loves people. I mean, obviously, when, when Jesus looked down from the cross <laughs> and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, um, it's like an unbelievable statement. You know, here are these people that are killing him. They're hurling insults at him, that have abandoned him, have turned their back on him, that refuse to believe the, the, the beautiful and true message that he brings. And yet he says, you know, forgive them. But that's the kind of love where people who oppose us, people that are different than us, people that have different points of view, yet our motivation inside is to love them. And, you know, it's not happening. And, and I think it's not even happening among Christian people, at least not as it should be. But rather, it's just so easy for us not to love some people. It's just so easy for us to see the faults or the weakness in other positions or in other groups of people and to have feelings, uh, strong feelings, against them. And, you know, what an interesting thing that on this Sunday we would read this text where Paul encourages us to love more. Love more. Because there's more to it than you think. Love is not just friendliness you know, I, I think about, you know, how we go about loving someone who is, is unlovable. I think about how we might usually go about that. We, you know, we, we see someone different than us. We see someone that maybe whose personality is not one we enjoy being around. And our idea of loving them is maybe to nod at them. <laughs> you know, maybe 
hi, and then move on <laughs> quickly. <laughs> maybe, you know, we might smile, you know, maybe a handshake, you know, something like that. You know, we feel like we're one of the ushers out here and have to greet everybody that walks in. But, uh, you know, that's kind of our idea sometimes of loving someone that um, we don't care for or is different than us. And so what I want you to do this morning, think of someone that is hard to love. Think of someone you know that's hard to love. Hopefully not your spouse, not someone sitting next to you this morning, but you know, think of someone that's, that's hard to love. I mean, really, I want you to get a picture of them in your mind. And I want you to think about how you can express love to them. Because obviously I'm not going for the high or the nod or even the handshake But I want you to think about this week when you encounter that person at work or in your neighborhood or at school or wherever they may be, just how do you love them more? Because you may say, I don't hate them, and that's probably true. You don't hate them. You're not driving your car into their house or something. You know, you don't hate them. But how do you love them more? How can you love them with this gospel love, with this changed heart that Jesus Christ has given us? What would that look like? And I think to begin with, as you see that person in your mind, you have to think, well, to begin with, it might mean I actually talk with them. I might ask them, how are you? And wait to hear an answer and care about what they say. You know, and, and again, this is not an easy thing for us to do, but it's what Paul's telling us is part of this work of the gospel in us. It's producing this. You know, we call it sometimes the fruit of the Spirit. And what's the first in that list that Paul gives us? Love, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, the evidence of his working in our life is love. And not toleration for someone, but love for them. And, and, and how do we feel about this person that's not easy for us to love? Well, the very least we should say is we feel we want them to know Jesus as we know him. We want them to have the experience of the gospel effect in their lives like we are having in our lives. And if there are some detestable things in them that are, are truly sinful and unlovely that God would change their life that God would change their heart and so I'm going to love them so that his love can impact their life as it has mine this is a challenge for us this morning but the challenge again is not for us to do something but as Pastor Chris shared last week the the answer is simply for us to surrender more you know, the answer is not for us to do more, but to surrender more. If you feel you struggle following the practical guidelines that Paul gives here or in other places in the Scripture, let me just guide you in your response this morning. Surrender more. You know, so often we uh, can conclude a message and, you know, we feel... Um, convicted by the Holy Spirit or in some way that, you know, he's speaking to us. We think, oh yeah, I I ought to change this or that in my life. And we confess our sin and 
we know we receive his forgiveness for our sin and we feel a little better and uh, go home. But I'm not asking you for that this morning. I'm not going to ask you to respond to this idea of loving more by raising your hand and confessing your sin and being forgiven. Of course, that's what he's doing in us, but that's not the response that's going to bring about the change that we need. And I'm also not going to ask you this morning to make a pledge. I'm not going to ask you to raise your right hand and repeat after me, I promise as a Christian and follower of Jesus Christ to love others more and more. I promise to let, no, I'm not asking you to come confess your sin and be forgiven or to come make a pledge to him that you'll try harder. The key, as Pastor Chris shared last week, is to surrender more. If we're seeing that this this is not the way our lives look, then there's a need for us to surrender more to the Holy Spirit. You see, when we come under the control of this other king and he rules in our heart and rules in our life, he'll produce these things in us. We don't have to control it anymore because he is in control of our life. So I want you to feel the urgency this morning to let the disruptive work of the gospel finish its work in you. Desire the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Welcome His work in you. Surrender more. Don't do more. Let's just look at it this way. Surrender more. Why don't you stand with me? Tomorrow when you run into that unlovable person in your life or something else happens and there's someone that's just just hard to love. I want you just to imagine what Jesus could do to help them. And surrender yourself for a moment to be a channel of his love. And let's just believe that as we surrender to him, he can help us to love more. This is what I feel, and and, and maybe you feel this way too. You know, I want to follow you, Jesus, and live an authentic Christian life. But I'm not very good at keeping rules and commandments. Even, Even loving other people can be a struggle for me. I know you forgive me, and I I know you appreciate my desire to work harder. But right now, I surrender. Holy Spirit, I surrender. May the full disruption of the gospel of Jesus Christ have free reign in me to change my heart, to change my motivation change the way I live and the reason I live that way. Let's pause for a moment and I want you to make your surrender to the Lord, just in your own way and in your own words. Just offer yourself to Him again. I surrender to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Let your 
love change my heart and work through me to change the hearts of other people. I surrender. Now we come today, Lord, bringing our lives again to you, realizing how much we need you and optimistic because as we've sung today, your promises are yes and amen. <clears throat> You've promised to change us. And we welcome that change today. Change our hearts. Not just our behavior. Change our hearts. Help us to love more and more. Thank you for Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. You know, in the prayer room, as you exit to your left, some of our staff will be in there, and they're always ready every week to pray with you about any needs you may have in your life. So feel free to stop by there, have a moment of prayer. They'll join with you and agree about whatever you're facing. God bless you. Go and serve Him. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.